Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to the eSpot with Camille. I am your host, Camille Cower, and thank you so much for joining me on the season finale of live versions, anyway, of the eSpot for Camille this season. And I'm so excited for you guys to meet a local guest of mine that actually is a neighbor, kind of, sort of, in a way, because we both live in the same town and we both were um, we both won an award where we were neighboring on the page. So, <laughs> uh, without further ado, I can't wait for you to meet Heather Chandler. She is a game producer, game designer, and she's worked on some of these top games that you're also familiar with. And I'll let her explain it more because I'm definitely more of a gamer mom than I am a gamer player. So <laughs> I'm below the noob in that sense. I do know that term. I'm probably embarrassing my child right now. So let me just go ahead and stop and just bring on the real expert about gaming, Heather Chandler. Thank you so much for being my guest today. I'm so excited to finally become a cool mom and learn all of the gaming techniques I need to know, all of the information on how to become a gamer, producer, everything, so I can at least sound cool to my child. So <laughs> please tell me how you got your start, because I mean, you don't really think of a lot of women working in the gaming industry. So I love that you're, you've worked on some of these top games. So not only have you proven that you can do it, but you've done it on the top level. So how did you get started? And thank you so much for being my guest. Oh, well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Very excited to be here. I love talking to people about games and advocating it as a career choice, specifically for younger folks who may be listening, who may not even realize that, yeah, you can have a huge career in game development or for parents like you that are like, making games? Is that actually a career? It looks like you're just sitting at the screen playing, you know, stuff that's not that uh, useful. But, um, you know, I started my career in the game industry a very long time ago. I've been in the industry over 25 years. I started back um, before the PlayStation had released. I think the first year I worked in the industry is the year the PlayStation did come out. And I got my start there. You know, it wasn't something that I had thought, hey, I'm going to make games when I grow up. I loved sort of STEM stuff, physics, chemistry, biology in high school. I went to college with the intent of majoring in one of those. I actually graduated with a degree in art history, um, mainly because I'm the sort of person that I like both pieces. So I think one of the things, you know, as I grew in my career, and I'll tell a little bit about how I got to where I am, there is the technical and the creative side to games. And so you don't have to pick one or the other. And so when I graduated from college, I ended up in Los Angeles of all places working in the film industry. And I ended up getting an entry level job at Activision and an entry level job in the game industry is like any other entry level job. You're the person that goes, gets coffee, you answer phones, you set up meetings. Um, but what the opportunity afforded me was the bird's eye view of, uh, of a full game development studio. Because at the time, Activision had a huge uh, group that made games internally. So I had direct contact to the artists, designers, programmers, um, QA testers, marketing, publishing, all the people that go into making these games you know and love. Because you may be surprised to find out like a game team could be as large as four or 500 people. So basically that's how I got my start. And when I was there, I started kind of talking to all the different disciplines and folks that did all kinds of different things. And that's when I realized that the producer role, which is what I focused on for most of my career, was a great fit for um, 
pulling all the pieces together. So one of the things that you learn about making games is it's one thing to have an idea for a game. It's an entirely other thing to actually make a game from it. And so basically I started out on the low rung of per, the production assistant and worked my way up. I spent time at Activision and worked on like a title called Mech Warrior or one called Interstate 76. So people who were super old school gamers will probably be familiar with that. And then from there, I ended up working at Electronic Arts. Um, at the time, they were- Electronic Arts. Yeah, they do all the sports games. Right. And so like Madden, FIFA, all of that. And at the time I worked there, they were doing something new called online gaming. And so <laughs> they had this whole big plan where they were gonna do these online games. Um, and uh, from there, I went and worked at Redstorm, um, Ubisoft, which is here in North Carolina. And I worked on a bunch of Tom Clancy games. And every time I kind of went to a new spot, I got to work on bigger and better projects. You know, I learned more about production. Um, I ended up writing books about it, about game production as a discipline, because at the time there wasn't necessarily a formal training program. I lectured at the Game Developers Conference and basically really honed my craft because I loved doing it and wanted to get better at it. And then eventually I ended up um, as the senior producer on Fortnite um, at Epic Games, which is here. And so I worked there for about three and a half years and was part of the team that was on Fortnite before it launched. And then I was with them um, for about a year after the game launched. And it, you know, working on a title like that with the group of people that um, put a game like that out is just such an amazing experience. Yeah, what but, is that experience like? Um, can you share a little bit for those of us that have kind of only worked on the film side of things. So even like thinking about what a production assistant would mean in animation or gaming, it's completely different. Like they're not getting talent. They're not, you know, they're not going yeah. to grab maybe so many things physically for each person, but I mean, I guess they are still grabbing things, but it's just in a different, <laughs> it's different, different way. <laughs> they don't have to go as far within the same building. I no. guess in that sense, they're not driving off to go get food for everyone. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> well, they still are, but that actually is not. Yeah. You still do stuff like that. Yeah. I remember, <laughs> you know, work. like productionism, I got some great stories. Like I was telling someone the story the other day when I was at Activision, um, there's, there's a, a game developer named John Romero who is super famous and he was um, the lead designer on a game called uh, Doom when it came out. And he is just, you know, a titan in the industry. And I, one of the things that I did one time as a production assistant, he was coming to California to talk to um, at one of the places where I worked. And so I had to go pick him up at the airport and you know take him to lunch and super nice guy ended up driving this guy around and honestly if you say john romero think the equivalent of like russell crowe you know like it's that level and people oh my gosh you got to drive john romero around and so those are like the sorts of fun things you do as a game production assistant which i'm sure is similar to sort of movie stuff but a lot of what you're doing even as a producer is um helping I say you're the heart of the team. You sit between all these people that are very creative and that includes engineers. Um, you know, making games is a creative endeavor. So you have to be technically creative. You have to be artistically creative. And as a game designer, you have to think about how you're creating an interactive experience. So it's different than movies in that regard as well, because we have to consider what the players are gonna do in the game are they going to break the game? Are they going to find bugs or edge cases that we didn't think about? And so the producer is there to help all those people um, 
be set up to do their best work. Mm -hmm. So you were there to shield them from the distractions. There's a lot of, you know, sort of admin business stuff that gets that happens on the game side. You're there to solve problems. So if art and engineering are disagreeing about how a game feature or something might be implemented, you're there to arbitrate and kind of help them sort through all the different approaches and pick the one that makes the most sense. Um, if there are, <laughs> I remember one time uh, when you, sh you used to ship <laughs> games on uh, computer disks and they would be sold at a store. One time um, my boss came by my desk and this is when I was still in production assistant mode. And he said, do you have a valid passport? And I said, yes, I do. And he's like, well, um, would you be willing to fly to London tonight to take this computer master? They had, they had a, like a gold master disc to, to London so that we can get it to um, the place where they're going to mass produce all of this and put them in boxes. Because at that time you had to take your gold masters to the various countries in which you were distributing the game. So I got on a plane that night, flew to London, took the disc in. <laughs> I'm like, basically here's your disc. And then, you know, got to stay in London for the day and explore. So just, you do whatever it takes. Um, I like to say producers may not contribute directly to the game with art design or engineering, but we do all the other things that help art design and engineering do what they need to do. Okay. Um, so one of the perks of living here locally is that you can sign up to be um, like a tester with some of the games. And since back in the day, I used to love, well, I wouldn't say I use the word love. Well, actually, maybe I would use the word love. I used to really love watching this TV show or this movie called Grandma's Boy. It's completely <laughs> dumb, but it's so funny because you're just like so unexpected because it, you have to watch it. Please don't judge me. It's really funny. But it's about these, um, well, these two different generationals, I guess, of people who work at a game um, game company, a game production company. And it like they're competing to make the most coolest games and I remember thinking like, wow, what a fun place to work because they had like a really cool break room with the pinball machines and just all these different fun, different chairs and just really booster that creative atmosphere. And I wonder for you, what was it like when you first started working somewhere that was a game office compared <laughs> to, I guess, whatever you were expecting to be? And yeah. were there any hurdles that you had to overcome being a woman? Because even in that movie, the... Um, the head person, I can't remember everything now because it's yeah, she was the lead producer. Yeah. Okay. Well, she was a woman, and I was more of a them hitting on her than disrespecting her intelligence or being <laughs> able to respect her position. But I wonder for you, like, what was it like? Um, because everybody was kind of the first in that sense, or newer mm -hmm. because there wasn't a college degree for right. I, I'm assuming Interstate 76, we might be around the same age bracket, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So um, having said that, um, I was just thinking like there wasn't a degree available to kind of be like, hey, well, I have my this, I don't, I, my certificates in this or that or whatever yeah. to kind of parade in front of them. So what was that like for you? Because I'm sure there's other people right now that might be the first or entering yeah. into new technology or hopefully coming up with something, the next new thing, whatever. And how do you get past those scares or fears of I'm a woman that trying this for the first time, or maybe even um, a man for that or any yeah. gender for that matter, you know, but just since you're our woman, I want to speak from that. Cause we think, I mean, from my experience, it's predominantly a male industry. So it's just mm -hmm. always so impressive when you find someone that works in an industry that's 
not typical of what you expect. Oh, okay, great. Well, first of all, yeah, Grandma's Boy, almost every game developer I know has watched that movie multiple times. And we just laugh and laugh and laugh because some of the things you're like, yeah, it's like that. And then other things you're like, oh, come on. Now they're just making fun of us. Um, yeah, working at a game studio is completely crazy. Um, when I worked at Activision, I remember my mom came to visit me. And you know, when it's your first job and your parents come and visit, she had flown like at the time she lived in Georgia and she flew to California and I'm like, oh, you got to come to the office. And I'm walking her around the office. And first of all, some dude has just like a taxidermied iguana lizard sitting on his desk. She's like, well, what's all that? There's just toys everywhere. There's shot glasses. Some guy has like a full bar set up behind his thing. Like, again, this was the 90s. So I think that they had different attitudes about stuff like that. Um, you know, like I said, it just was, and she was like, wow, like, are they allowed to do this? Just, it was very shocking to her because she was thinking, oh, it's a corporate thing. Then she starts seeing the employees. Oh, they're all in shorts and t-shirts and flip-flops, you know? And she's like, well, who's that? And I'm like, oh, that's our lead programmer, you know? Like, he's very smart, blah, 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 blah. And she, it's just, there is a so energy the there. Outfit. Just kidding. Yeah, there was one character that walked around in a matrix outfit. You can't see me. I'm invisible. We did not. Let me think now. We didn't really have a person like that, but I have seen people like that at other movie companies. I quote that movie all the time just because it's so ridiculous. Yeah. My husband and I watched it a lot together. So now it's just like our own little language. And so now like all of the parts are coming to my head. Yeah. It's been a decade at least but yeah. oh yeah and it's funny because i i am aware of some of the people that they're kind of satiring from the game development scene it's kind of an amalgamation of different types of game developers that would be considered like i said very famous sort of within the game development circle um yeah it's a great movie very very and, funny <laughs> and i will say from my experience also like centerline here in raleigh they have a full bar at their oh, really? so wow Full bar. I mean, granted, you have to have, um, I think it's after hours you can use it, but mm -hmm. they have a full on, like, like a real bar brewery. I don't, I don't drink, so I don't know what it's called, but the thing that you yeah. pull down for beer to come out. Oh yeah. The beer taps. Wow. Yes. That. They have the, <laughs> at Epic, and they at have, the time I worked there, I did drink. And so we got to drink real drinks for, um, the commercial I was shooting there and like, yeah, I could get I could get used to this lifestyle. <laughs> oh, it was, it's so a lot fun. of the toys were on the offices and different things. Um, it, I was like, oh, yep, creatives are all the same because even my desk, there's tons of toys and office stuff. Like you just don't want to lose that creative spirit of connecting with your inner child. I think to some extent too. I think it is a lot of it. Um, and at Epic, they actually have a two-story slide, so there's an area kind of in the common area where you walk up the stairs and if you don't want to go down the stairs, you can go down the slide. So when they have family day, of course, the kids love going, um, going down the slide. Most game companies decorate like crazy for Halloween and have like these amazing costume contests. Yeah. And so because you have such creative people that work there, like it is astonishing that time and effort and thought that people put into their costumes one guy created like an entire mech robot costume out of cardboard another painted himself green and came as like this hulk thing um it's just it is it's super fun what people will do um so you're saying i need to try to find i mean well i've 
friend of mine visited me from San Francisco and we went and tried to find Epic Games. And I was like, oh, it's actually kind of boring. I wouldn't waste your <laughs> drive over here. And they don't allow visitors anyway. I mean, probably COVID they didn't anyway, but yeah. even pre-COVID they didn't. And so I was like, oh, it looks kind of boring, but they're getting ready. So all of you outsiders outside of Wake County, Epic Games recently purchased um, an old mall here and they're going to re- do it and it's going to be a community park type place as well mm -hmm. so we'll be able to see what all these fun things that possibly are going to be there did you happen to know any friends that have shared any information with you yet or can't i haven't heard much of anything the one thing i heard that i thought was so hilarious is that this mall is as you know practically empty now most of the stores that were there are gone um, and of course, okay. more are going to be leaving. The only one that's staying, though, after Epic purchases it is the Dave and Buster's. Or that's that's what I heard, is oh, that fun. Dave and Buster's will be allowed to stay, which I'm like, well, of course, that makes a lot of sense, you know. I mean, um, employees will love that because um, I went to, I've gone to a few rap parties at Dave and Buster's in LA and North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. And um, we had my daughter's last birthday there, and it was so much fun for all ages. So, not yeah. to plug Dave Buster's because they don't have <laughs> At the same time, if you want to send me a game card, I'm willing to. No, I'm kidding. Absolutely. <laughs> it's expensive to play there after a while. That's why you like, have to know how to min max yeah. it. Like going to Dave and Buster's is just like any other game. And I, I forgot what my formula was, but there's one day a week when you get double tokens. And then if you, a lot, you know, they hand out coupons like crazy. And so I remember one time I'm like, okay, I've got to go on Tuesday between these hours. I've got this coupon and like it's your birthday month or something. And then that way you get a lot of good coins uh, for like a fraction of the cost. Yeah, we'll see. So they got us then is when you do the birthday tokens, if you buy, like if you buy the larger package and those people don't show, you still get the cards and it's still um, like it's, like I think it's like, uh, like you can use it unlimited for some of those token big token things that you don't get um, tickets for or something. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it took us forever to go out of it because my husband and I both were like, wait, unlimited? For like, and then yeah. they were like, oh no, it's just for that day of the birthday for some of those, and then you can use it for the amount. And we have oh. an only child, so it took us a really long time to go with the extra <laughs> ones. But at the time, we ball. Like, oh, you know, well, you just never know if parents want to play, but then they kept using the unlimited ones. Like, that's the ones that they normally would pay, like, $20 to play. <laughs> like, it was, like, the 4D things, and, you know, with the fans. Oh, stuff. yeah, those but, are really fun. Yeah, I had no idea. I just, I'm learning. I, I will say that I got an early Mother's Day gift of the Oculus thing, so I'm, like, Oh, I got wow. to go with Van Gogh. You'll appreciate that as an art history major. I, that mm -hmm. was my, I stayed in there for probably two hours really and yeah i just was like oh this is it just felt like self-care just walking around the same places pretty much the same place yeah over, over and over just being somewhere else because i've been home for so long but oh, yeah. speaking of escapes and so on and games and you had that perfect formula and i just love how your brain works but you're doing something new with it as well so you can you kind of tell that transition where you went from video gaming to now you do like in-person gaming and puzzling mm -hmm. and so on? It's yeah. So when I left um, Epic, you know, and again, when you work on a, a game like that and uh, you learn so much, that's kind of like you're <laughs> most game developers will work on one sort of, if they're lucky, one sort of super blockbuster title that's like a game like that. But, you know, then you're like, okay, where can I go from here? Like, what's my next move going to be? So I decided that I wanted to work for myself because 
after you've been doing this for as long as I have, you are like, okay, now I want to take everything that I've learned and build something of my own and see if I can build up, you know, sort of, I wanted to get more involved with my community and things like that. So I, I became an entrepreneur and I started an escape room here in Apex. Now the story of the escape room was, I wasn't exactly sure that that's what I was going to do, but I was chatting with my husband and he is a game designer and writer and he's a, a contractor. And so he was like, oh yeah, you know what? We should team up and I'll design the rooms. And then you do all the other stuff with running a business and the escape room and all of that stuff. So I said, sure. So I started looking for um, a place the next day and we'd signed a lease within a month for 3000 square feet. And I said to my husband, all right, there you go. I've got your space for you. Go design these rooms. And so over the next six months, he designed two rooms and we opened those. And what we found is because both of us have worked in the industry for so long, there are several things that we've learned about how to make really fun, engaging, interactive experiences that translated really well to creating a physical in-person escape room. And of course, before COVID, you know, people, you know, people were coming and you pick, uh, for those who don't know what an escape room is, you basically go into a room and there are clues and you start looking around and putting the clues together and solving puzzles. And then that leads to more puzzles and clues. And there's a little bit of a story. So each room is themed around a specific adventure and they're great for group activities. So you get families that come in, that's like grandkids, the kids, and then their older parents. So we'll have people in the like room. For bridal parties too, because I know that's coming yes. up and graduations and so on. Graduations. And, yeah. and fraternities like that could be a lot of fun. Yeah. As something small and COVID safe because you're not having to worry about being in big crowds and so on. If exactly. And they're all private and we clean everything mm -hmm. and, you know, people just have a blast. People are like, oh, I, I'm scared. I've never done an escape room. Or I'm going to be locked in a room. And it's our rooms, I, I can say for sure, are not scary. And yeah, 3,000 feet does not sound very claustrophobic because that was one of the fears I had. And I didn't, <laughs> I don't know if I told you off air, but I was kind of like, I don't think I'll ever come and visit your job. Yeah. But I mean, now that I hear 3,000 square feet, I'm like, oh, that's not like a locker. <laughs> no, I mean, each room is about 500 square feet, I think. So they're very spacious, you know, and our, our ceilings are about 12 foot high and we don't lock you in. So I would say when people do ask, Hey, I'm claustrophobic. Am I going to have issues? And I kind of explain what the dimensions of the room are. And I'll say, you know, I mean, based on that, I mean, you could make your decision. Um, and most, you know, people come, Oh, wow, this was so great. This wasn't at all what I was expecting. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I have to keep that in mind because we have a summer birthday in our house and at 13, you're like, what do I do? Like, Oh, it is actually perfect for that age numbers and stuff. And so it's like, and she loves that kind of thing. So I'm like, oh, you just gave me great ideas. So yeah, check it I'm out known for giving big birthday parties. So I'm like, I don't know how to do small, but this will be small and fun and great for all of us. So mm -hmm. that's exciting. Now a little bit, I'm going to go a little bit backwards a little bit again, just because I, I'm curious for anyone that may be interested in getting into the gaming industry. What as a, from the position that you were in, you got to see both sides of it with the mm -hmm. art side, as well as the um, technology side for, can you share for both sides of those? What, um, I guess, skills or different mm -hmm. things that you would suggest that they really try to plump up or make sure that they hone in before trying to get into those positions or what directions you would suggest they go into, whether it's storytelling, like 
or gaming. Like I didn't think of how much goes into it as far as also having to figure out what the players do and making sure that they don't hack the way to figure out how to get <laughs> cheat codes to cancel. Like I only yeah. know that term from Ariana Grande. Like even that, I don't know if that's <laughs> the only reason I knew that is I kept like watching the lyrics. Like, what is she doing? And then finally, Oh goodness! Atari. I played Mortal Kombat, so I'm very excited to watch the movie because I'm like, ah, something for my genre. Yeah, I just watched it the other night, and it's it's good. I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, it delivers on what it's supposed to be. So I would say yes. Much. I'm not expecting Father or Nomad. Nomad. I don't know how to say it, but I'm not expecting that from Mortal Kombat. You're not going to watch it because you think it's an Oscar contender. You're going to no. watch it because it's got things that are violent and, you know, Finish basically him, violent. Yeah. <laughs> More him than her. But yeah. So yeah. Um, back to my original question. I got off on a tangent there because of Mortal Kombat. <laughs> but <laughs> so for you, what advice would you give? Because I know you also teach classes. So this mm -hmm. would be a great way for them to kind of get an idea of what your classes also offer as well in that sense. Yeah. So, I mean, to kind of touch a little bit on a question that you'd asked before, but I didn't really give a good answer to. Um, yeah, it, I do say the, the game industry is definitely looking to hire lots of different people in different roles, women and, and all of that. They want to be more diverse. So that is a place where I think today it is definitely interested and it's with open arms saying, hey, if you think you want to make games, please don't be put off because you're like, oh, I thought that it was just a male dominated thing for, you know, white males, or whatever. It's, it has changed quite a bit. Um, when I first started, I, you know, I, I never really had an uncomfortable feeling being, and oftentimes I was the only female because I was very focused on what it was that I knew I wanted to do. And I had a very clear idea of how, I wanted to grow my career and skills as a producer and I was never afraid to ask questions. And most of the time I would just go up to people and I would ask questions and I was interested in what they're doing. And of course, as you know, people love talking about themselves and what they do. And that is a great way to build rapport and to let people know what you're all about. And I, you know, generally people were very uh, nice about the whole thing. One guy that I worked with, he was a programmer. He said, you know, I can see that you're really interested in this. Why don't I put together um, a programming class and I, cause you were asking about it and there was another woman who was interested and I'll show you kind of the basics of programming because that'll help you, you know, better talk to programmers as you grow your career. So people would do stuff like that. I, I had a mentor. So it is an industry that today for sure, like don't, it does get a lot of negative press sometimes for certain, you know, incidents, but generally I would say it is, it is open for business. And if you are thinking, hey, I, I want to work in the game industry, like what would that take? You know, there are many different positions and I'll kind of uh, talk about it from um, there's the technology piece. So that's computer programming, basically. So you go and study computer programming. And then when you graduate, you can apply for a job in the game industry, <laughs> in the game industry, because most of the time, if you have that base and background, whatever game company you go to will provide you additional job creating and skills for the game piece of it. Now, of course, what is cool is that today there are so many free tools out there. So you can download 
Unreal Engine or the Unity Engine, if you're a programmer or anybody, and play around with them. So you can start learning and understanding how to program games with these engines. Um, but if you are an artist, I mean, make art, you know, learn art, learn how to do 3D art, 2D art, be an animator, uh, concept artist. There's all different types of artists that are there. And again, it's about learning your skill. Now, I worked with a lot of people that actually did not graduate from college. They were all self-taught with either programming or art. So that is also very common. The game industry, I think, is a bit more forgiving when it comes to college degrees because they're really interested in what are your skills what can you do and how do you demonstrate it? So both of those positions require some sort of portfolio piece, specifically artists have to have a good portfolio. Engineers, it's always great if they have a demo or something like that that they could show. Um, designers is a little more interesting because there are a couple of game design programs um, at a university level, but because design can take so many different forms depending on the genre that you're working on or what type of designer you are, you might have different skills and backgrounds. So if you're like, hey, I'm a writer, how do I become a game writer? So that's a lot of people want to do that because they write, they love it. They're like, hey, the game industry is really growing. I want to be a game writer. That, you know, a lot of times when people are interested in writing or designing, I say, first of all, play games, you know, play games that you don't like play games that are bad and start analyzing how do they put these games together, you know? So a designer has to understand how game systems work together. Um, so that's the different types of activities that a player might do. So in Fortnite, it is, you know, you build things, you defend things, you shoot things. So how do all those systems work together to make a fun gameplay experience? A narrative designer has a writing background because they create the characters in the story and they might write the dialogue. Um, you might have a mission designer. So when you have like a large game, like, I can't think, oh, like um, Uncharted. So Uncharted is this really huge franchise where you play this character and you go on these fantastic missions. So you might have a mission designer who is responsible for designing like a very focused narrative driven experience where they go on particular missions and, and hit certain goals. So with designers, I always say, you know, depending on who you are, you're going to want to study and play games, um, look at whatever game design programs you might have, but also history, psychology, uh, sociology, history, uh, English, like all of those things that your parents are like, oh, you won't get a job with that type of degree can actually be very, very helpful. Um, there is a, another type of designer called a UX designer, which is user experience. So when UX design isn't just specific to games, it is um, anything that a person is going to interact with. So even a coffee cup has a handle. So the UX experience is, oh, this handle is sticks out and I can put my fingers in it and you know, then I can drink my coffee. With games, you're thinking the same thing. If you have played games, you'll notice that sometimes games may feel clunky and awkward, like the buttons seem in a weird way, so you have to really twist your hand around in a funny way, or you thought that the door would open if you pressed this button, but instead you fell through a hole, or um, the colors, like you're colorblind, so you can't see some of this information that you need in order to play the game. So UX is all about creating an environment that the, that the user can respond and interact with, um, and there is a lot of science and data attached to it because when you go do a UX test, 
you set up a game experience and you come up with a hypothesis like, okay, I want to see if users understand what these icons mean, then you can gather that data and then you feed that back to the game designers who then take that information and are like, okay, yeah, I see that I wanted the player to do this, but the way that it's currently set up for them to interact with it, they think they're supposed to do this instead. So um, again, that's just one example of any type of thing. And then of course they always have the typical marketing, sales, HR, PR, accounting, um, testing. A lot of people get their start in the industry by being QA testers, which is yeah. not as fun as it sounds, because yeah, basically you're paying that game, game mm -hmm. tediously, day in, day out, like the same thing over and over again. Like I'm working on a game now, and I know that one of the testers basically plays through that game every day. It's a pretty short game. Um, and like he's done that for a year now. <laughs> yeah. So. I know someone that probably would be able to play Fortnite for a year straight. <laughs> and I'm married to him. I'm not even talking about my daughter. <laughs> oh wow! There you go. Yeah, um, I should have. I should have known the writing was on the wall because uh, when you said PlayStation, I was like, oh yeah, he did like Fight Night, and I remember that was a PlayStation <laughs> game back. And when Sony had their big data breach, that's when he stopped. Ah, uh, so, yes. Um, but uh, of course, being in the entertainment industry, uh oh, he just heard me the one time. So, uh, <laughs> busted. So then I was thinking back also when you were talking about the different parts of it. I know back in at Epic Games, or not Epic Games, um, the one in California that you Activision, mentioned you EA. Um, yes, um, EA. But uh, probably because they were EA Sports, but they would also have different stunt people that would work that would react some of the video games with maybe some of the, um, like they would wear the green suits for them to get the ideas of the motion and so on. And I was like, oh, how cool to even get mm -hmm. to portray a superhero without ever having to really be the superhero. So you don't really get injured in that sense. <laughs> like, because my mom was a stunt woman as a kid. Um, oh, as really? A stop, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, she did that for a living. And so, like, me thinking about becoming a stunt woman was like, no way. I saw my mom come home with bruises and broken <laughs> things. There was like, there was no interest in that. But I still kind of. An, I like doing things that push me towards the edge. So I was like, oh, yeah, that would be a fun job. And um, so I'm curious, even on that side of it, if you have any advice for people who are interested in maybe even working, I guess, in the performing art side of oh. um, gaming, whether it's voiceovers mm -hmm. or one of my good girlfriends, which I think you know her as well. Uh, Bonnie um, is a voiceover. Oh, actor, yes. But yeah. So um, I was like, oh, I got to ask that question. So then for those people who also are in the performing art side, and I guess a lot of actors are now mm -hmm. have the whole microphone set up because we were all forced home. Yeah. Uh, what are some advice you have for that as well? Because uh, I'm assuming you see both sides of that as well. Oh, yeah, I do. I do. About? Um, yeah, I've worked with a lot of voice. I've done a lot of voiceover shoots, managed and produced those for many games. And, you know, it's interesting because most of the times, at least in the larger titles where I've worked on, they do use union actors. And so um, they're going to go there first to find whoever these voice actors are. And I would say, just like with cartoons, you kind of find sort of the same guy pops up over and over again because either they're very easy to work with or they have the type of voice that you want. So I'd say if you're interested in video game voiceover, I mean, definitely let your agent know. Probably want to join SAG if you're interested in working some of those larger titles. And then just have, you know... I am sure, so this is a question Bonnie could better answer, but I'm sure there are certain skills say, and whatnot. You join SAG. You have to, you have to earn it. It yeah. takes a long time sometimes. So I was like, 
Yeah, I'll say that at the end. Oh, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but there's certain things, that. right? You have yeah. to be able to do the different voices and, and act and all of that. So it'd be like, I think, any other TV or uh, movie thing that you might be going forward for um, as a voice actor. Uh, for the motion capture stuff, that's a good question, too. I think the I did do, produced a motion capture shoot a long, long time ago. And Again, I think it's about knowing people at the studio. There's a certain skill set, of course, you need as a mocap actor because it's actually quite exhausting um, because you are pretty much there all day in this suit and you're doing the same moves over and over repetitively and you have to be very big. They're very big movements, right? Because you're going to be translating them to a digital format. And so you have to be able to take direction well, you know, just like with any other acting job, hit the mark take direction well, don't take too much time. And now they actually have technology too, where they do facial motion capture. So if you played there, I mean, there's a lot of games out there, but uh, I can't remember the dude's name. He was on The Walking Dead. He is in a game that came out recently and it looks just like him. Um, gosh, it's, is it Daryl? Daryl from The Walking Dead? Um, but they do the facial mocap. And so they deliver the line and they cap, there's like, you know, 40 ping pong balls on your face or markers that you use. And then um, an animator syncs them all up, you know, in, in the game side. And uh, yeah, so there is a huge opportunity there for creative actors and voice actors. Now that's interesting. Cause I've seen um, from behind the scenes, some videos, cause I've never worked on anything special, um, special effects or, um, computer generated at all besides the basic green screen but i've seen like some of the behind the scenes videos where they have the different sensors on their face and so on and it's from having done um prosthetics i'd rather do that ah. <laughs> i'd still rather do that because prosthetics can pull your hair off <laughs> um, you know oh, if you God. have any peach fuzz to your face or you know or if it gets too close to your roots even and again being someone who's claustrophobic you might have only straws for where you're breathing while they're putting all of that oh stuff. Oh my on you gosh! And it's cold. So, just saying, video games are great for um, for people who are claustrophobic, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so then, because um, when The Walking Dead became really large, my agent did ask me if I, I was like, mm, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> uh, oh, to sit I'm under and get all the makeup. I'm like, I don't want to have a freak out session and never work again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but at the same time, I was like, I want to do it, but I'm scared of losing everything I worked for because I freak out when they start right. putting this because I did one thing, but it wasn't very extensive. So it was easy to get out of it. And I've done mm -hmm. like um, some mascot things, funny enough, even for Lenovo. <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't that bad because like I had my, um, it was just a head thing, but I did the, um, the Chick-fil-A cow. Wow. That was not so much fun because I was completely yeah. covered. And so as soon as I could get my hands out, I was fine. But Dang. all that thing was so unbelievably hot. All you could wear underneath it was a swimsuit. Otherwise, you were oh, so really? Wow. I have new respect so for seeing people in those costumes. Yeah, me too. Because in high school, I'd done some parade stuff and, you know, being a high school jerk, maybe. But, you know, you're like, oh, McGriff, like joking around, um, seeing him. And now I realize, wow, he had a really hard job. <laughs> after you played uh, you have a lot more respect especially the ones that can do the flips and everything i mean oh gosh while one, wearing like, the costume yeah like i don't know how they do all of that because it's amazing. really heavy and hot but for i mean i had a much heavier bigger like there was no way anybody could do flips than that but for yeah 
the football, I have a lot more respect for them. They deserve all the scholarships because <laughs> <laughs> they're hot and they're not getting any recognition. Nobody even knows who they are doing it. So um, I want to make sure that I get to share everything that about what you're doing, because I think it's important to also now that I talked about my childhood stuff, that you're doing so many different things to also help young children get involved because I know there's that critical age where a lot of times with girls that may be interested in math and science, once they hit puberty sometimes, because maybe they're more shy or maybe they're overlooked because um, the men are, you know, the men in their class or the boys in the class are just more dominant in that sense, mm-hmm. or they're just given that okay to be dominant in these certain fields. So I'm loving that you're kind of encouraging more girls and even boys in that sense. I'm not saying boys shouldn't do it, but I'm just saying in the sense that right now girls need more attention than that or just to bring them back into the folds. So what different things are you doing and what can you share for people who may be outside of Cary that would like to bring or implement those kinds of things in their area too, or can do it virtually with you if you have those options? Oh, yeah. Well, one of the things is I was um, very honored um, about a year and a half ago to be selected as a triple AS if then ambassador, which is basically um, it's 125 women that they selected from across a variety of STEM disciplines to help advocate STEM uh, education to middle school and high school girls to get them more excited and involved. Because as you said, that's when interest starts dropping off. And these women are amazing. Like I feel super intimidated. There's, there's a bunch of PhDs. There is the woman who, um, is, she is a pro hockey player. There's a woman who's a senior programmer at YouTube. Um, they have game development studios and all of this. And so we are all there kind of working forward on our mission. And so we end up speaking a lot at, you know, schools, middle schools, high schools, done tons of conferences where it's like, Hey, let's get girls, kids excited about STEM. One of the neat things they did actually, and they just announced it on Monday is before the pandemic, they had gotten all 125 of us together in, in Dallas and they had done a full 3D body scan of each of us. And so from this full scan, they created these life-size statues and they um, a, they were supposed to debut it in May of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. They, it's the largest statuary exhibit and it is the one that features all women. One of the stats they found when they were kind of looking at just statuary in general across the United States, like out of the thousands of statues that we have, and we're talking about go to the park, the Capitol building, wherever, like less than 10 of them were female. And so that is one of the things that they did to A, bring attention to STEM education, women in STEM, and to get kids excited. And so now um, it's set up at some place in Dallas and they're all 125 in this big courtyard and you can go and walk around. Um, I don't know what they're gonna be doing with the statues when the exhibit's over, or if they're gonna do a tour. I know that they had some set up at Central Park a couple months ago to kind of do a little bit of a preview, but it's stuff like that. And then we work with, um, there's something called the National Girls Collaborative Project So if you have a daughter and also a son, I mean, it doesn't just because these have the word girl in it doesn't mean that you won't find activities that your son would enjoy as well. But as you know, the focus is, of course, getting girls excited about STEM. But the National Girls Collaborative Project is a great resource if you're looking for books, activities or other sorts of things. Um, So we do content for them. 
I personally, I've got a couple of projects that I'm working on that I haven't announced yet that um, I'll probably be announcing them in a couple months to uh, again, get kids excited and engaged about STEM. Uh, I can say that it revolves around games, but not computer games. So different sorts of ways to teach kids and get them excited about STEM using games is sort of that, that inroad with them. Because as you know, kids love games. And so if you meet them where they are and show them, hey, you know that thing you love doing? Like, what if you could make that yourself? They get very excited, you know? I used to take my daughter, obviously before COVID. I feel like I should stop saying that because yeah, I know people have to understand. <laughs> but, yeah, so at um, the Apple Store here locally, they would offer a lot of different classes where you could. Um, I can't remember the name of the program now, but you would learn how to code, and they would have um, a day of code, different classes, or editing and video games. Like they did a lot of different mm -hmm. classes there that they offered free. Just mm -hmm. an FYI for those of you that may be interested in getting your kids into programs that might be in your area because i do believe they are offering some of those virtually now mm -hmm. um but it just sometimes just having that ability to expose them to new opportunities new ways of doing things and yeah. um i i loved being able to see that with her and like with the different games i was trying to talk to her like "Ooh, what would you like to ask because i'm going to be talking to somebody from fortnite like thinking i'd be <laughs> the cool mom and I was like, oh, what do you think about like an interactive game that would be educational? And she was like, oh my God, everything has to be educational with you. Mm -hmm. or, you know, and I'm like, okay, never mind. I'll stop talking to you. <laughs> I'll just ask her in that sense. I, I feel like as a parent, it just would be one of those things like, wow, if you were spending so much time there, at least you learning something. Because that was one of the things even to I guess share my age, I loved about MySpace is that you were able to just <laughs> Like you kind of learned coding with it in a way that you were making your page your own in case for those younger kids. MySpace was kind of like Facebook, but it was way <laughs> more cool because you could definitely, you could personalize it with your own soundtrack, your own like background. Oh, yeah. and it's like, really it was cool. like Canva and Facebook got together and had a Spotify baby. I don't know. Cause you had <laughs> the playlist too. And then you could be very passive aggressive with your top eight. Cause you could change who your top eight friends were. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. I was recently telling a friend of mine who didn't have MySpace. I was trying to explain it to him and I was like, Oh, you could be passive expressive. I mean, passive aggressive. Cause you know, when the boyfriend was not acting right, you might not have him in your top eight anymore. I don't know. It was very dramatic. <laughs> so, um, and now like kids, I, there's tons of things they can do because there's even with um, with the different games, there's esports and so on where mm -hmm. they can raise money and all these different things. But I felt like oh, all these kids are stuck home having to learn these things from teachers who are not used to being able to teach through such a flat canvas. So the way they're more used to engaging with students and being able to see their reactions to find out what's wrong with them. And with the game, maybe because you guys have all these psychologists, sociologists, and all these specialists behind the scenes and the data, they would be able to figure out ways where they kind of learn something. By yeah. So there's two sides, there's two sides to that question. So first of all, when you look at a game like Fortnite and you're like, Ooh, they just seem like they're wasting time if you think about it differently, like Fortnite is a team-based game. So they have to go in and work together as a team and figure out what the objectives are and communicate with each other. And there's some sticky situations that you get into. And also Fortnite has that building component. So they have to learn, how do I build these things? They're learning that hand-eye coordination. So it does teach sort of that teamwork and thinking creatively outside the box. One of the fun things about playing games is when players discover that they can do something different that they didn't think they would be able to do. Um, there is an example, and I think it was in Fortnite, where we had 
some sort of rocket that you could launch and a player realized that you could hop up on the rocket and actually ride it across the map. And the players just had so much fun using this in very creative ways. So I would caution parents, of course, you always want to be aware of what your kids are playing. And as a parent myself, of course, you want to try to limit their screen time, but don't misunderstand that they're just kind of wasting time because they are in there, especially if it's a social game like Fortnite, there's lots of different things you can learn just from commercial game, like Minecraft, like Minecraft is just so robust and same with Roblox. You, it's one of those things where if you think it, you can probably figure out a way to build it in Minecraft. So if you play creative mode, you're really doing neat things like my son builds these contraptions and things like this. And they're like Rube Goldberg kind machinery things. Yeah. So there is a lot of benefit to playing games, even if they don't have that educational label. Now to go back to the point with your daughter, yes, generally educational games and not to knock them, but kids don't respond to them as well because they know you're trying to teach me something. So the best approach that I've had, because I've actually worked on a fair number of educational games. Um, I worked on a game about four years ago, well, five years ago now called Never Alone. Never Alone is a beautiful game that is a platformer game where you play a young Inupiat girl uh, from Alaska and she has this uh, fox that's her sidekick and they have to traverse the terrain of Alaska and they have different missions and things they need to accomplish. Now you're like, well, that doesn't sound like an educational game, but what it, it, it was, it, but it was treated as a commercial game first. This game came about because um, the Cook Inlet Tribal Council, which is this group up in Alaska, um, they were trying to figure out a way to get kids excited about technology and excited about their Inupiat culture. And so they wanted to make a game. And they found uh, this game company called Eline, who I had, uh, I have ties to them, it's a whole long story. But uh, they said to Eline, hey, we wanna make this game. And so I was involved in the project and we worked uh, it was a co-development effort between the Inupiat tribe and the game development studio. And we, the elders reviewed the game. They provided content and feedback. We got the teenagers involved. So the tribe directly participated. And so all of the things that you see in the game that um, are about culture and their stories and their lore come directly from the tribe. And so that part was the entertainment piece. And then in order to further educate people who were like, wow, this was really interesting. We did a series of mini documentaries called Insights that as you play the game, you could unlock them. So for example, in the first level, she gets chased by a polar bear. It's not a huge spoiler because it happens pretty early in the game. So then after that happens, you get just like in a game, you get an, a reward. Hey, now you've unlocked this insight, a mini documentary about polar bears. And so it's a two minute documentary. So that is a great example of how a game is entertainment first, education second, and it did very, very well for the type of game it was. It was an independent game. It went on to win a bunch of awards. It won a BAFTA. And so that same company has also released a game last year, which I worked on and uh, called Beyond Blue, which is about the ocean. So again, it was an entertainment first game. You swim around in the ocean and you do these different things, but it was developed in conjunction with oceanographers, scientists, um, the Ocean X people, um, and some other foundations. And it was all about making sure that we were showing the science of oceanography and our planet and our environment. So again, and, and it also had documentary insights. 
So there are ways to do that. When you look at a game like uh, Oregon Trail, of course, is the quintessential educational game from our day, right? Where you went and you were a settler and you had to do these things. So the key, you can tell this is a topic I'm super passionate about. The key to making educational games work is that you have to think about the entertainment first mm -hmm. and then layer the education in, in order to get the, the, your target market, which is kids. You can make games all day that teachers would be like, yeah, this is this seems good. Is this going to teach them their multiplication tables or whatever? But you, to get a kid engaged, you have to go a little bit more, you know. Yeah. No, I mean, even like with Pokemon Go, I felt like it did a great job in like getting kids back outside again yeah. in a way or geocaching, geocaching and so on. So I was just like, ooh, what are they going to have to do now that COVID's over? Like, you know, and so <laughs> like just trying to like get them back integrated into hanging out for those areas that maybe were locked down longer. I don't know. It's just with her being on a device so much with virtual academy and then also yes. that's her way to enter to be able to engage with her friends for the most part and so on it's just like oh, how do i get i mean i and want see that's to... oh, go ahead. i was going to say that's where the escape room comes in one of the things that we did during covid because we had to close our room is we started doing outdoor puzzle adventures so we teamed up with like the parks and rec or an hoa or a pta and we designed an outdoor experience where you had to get out and walk around it wasn't screen-based because you went and you found the puzzles and the clue and you solved it and then you would go to different locations. People loved it because it was as close as we could get to the indoor escape room experience where you're a team and you're there with families of all ages. But you, I do agree that it's important to have people put their devices down and kind of connect with each other and finding activities that, that you can do that with. So they don't leave their mom out. That's technically yes. <laughs> well, the problem is also I'm a dyslexic. So the game that they're playing, I'm like, I'm always going the wrong way or can't remember uh, what button what. And so I'm like, eh, fine. Mortal Kombat, please get into that. So then all I have to do is push the same buttons over and over. I'm surprised they're not into that because that is a fun game. No, I, ha I haven't even exposed her to it because, you know, she's at that well, weird age where it was still more like Roblox and Minecraft. And yeah, you know, like I mean, Fortnite it is pretty violent, so... <laughs> They're like ripping people's spines out. I don't remember all of it. Oh, that's right. They did like pull out the. Okay, yeah. And see now, think about the Mortal Kombat yeah. that you played. Like, imagine mm -hmm. that it looks real now, as part of the game. Yeah, okay, never mind. Maybe not. So you may Maybe. not. I remember but... tennis. You remember Pong, tennis, and Atari? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> For those that don't, it was just like two bars that just chased each other. I remember my father was so excited that he bought me Atari for my birthday, and I'm like. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not sitting oh, through that. I'm my God. Like torture. And then finally, my best real game, I guess, was, um, oh gosh, um, Bird versus Magic. And that's when I got introduced to basketball, really, as far as oh, okay. playing. And um, they were like on a half court and just would turn back and forth shooting the hoop. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's definitely now NBA, 2K for sure. Yeah. And yeah, I was tortured as a child. And um, that's why Generation Y, I guess we are, is so mad at Generation X. No, we're, we're all getting along now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're all getting along now. We're all, because we're going to need you um, to take care of us in the hospital. <laughs> so yeah, we definitely love you guys. <laughs> we're going to need you for nurses and doctors. So yeah, well, this is so great and oh my gosh it's 7:55. so i wow. want to make sure if there's anything else you want to share go ahead and share with everyone and how they can keep in contact with you or even find out about all the different programs that you're offering where's the sure. great place for them to reach out um best place is uh, my website heathermakesgames.com 
Um, there it talks about all the different STEM stuff I'm doing. So I'm always interested in, you know, interacting with kids, doing YMCA things. And then also the escape room is called Whole Brain Escape, W-H-O-L-E, uh, Brain Escape. It's kind of a play on words there. Um, and wholebrainescape.com and we're in Apex and you can go there and see all the different rooms we have and, you know, come book an adventure for your family. Sounds great. Well, thank you again for being my guest today, neighbor. I'll have to come and check you out. Neighbor. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Oh, it was my pleasure. Same for me. And um, maybe I'll get like a little street cred for this with my, my no, probably maybe. Not. <laughs> probably not. She's talking like, oh, did you learn any G codes? I don't think that's a thing. I it's still the only <laughs> term I know. But oh, one of my gamer friends just got him. Is there any questions you want to ask real quick, Carly? Because I do have a gamer friend on here now. I just saw her pop up laughing oh, at me or saying awesome. Actually, it was my husband. I'm still saying the ha ha because <laughs> um, full disclosure, there was a time that the only way I could get attention was standing in front of his fight night games. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, I went from fight night to Fortnite. What? <laughs> How is this happening? I, need I know. A mom's night. <laughs> Yeah, that's you and I should totally do that. We should do, do mom's night. Yes, for sure. At whole um whole brain escape. Okay. All right. Well, again, thank you so much, Heather, for being my guest, and thank you everyone out there for watching. This has been so much fun, and I really appreciate it. I feel a little more um, educated on the gaming world and just everything that it entails. And I'm gonna have to watch Grandma's Boy. And yes. have a lot more fun with it. <laughs> yeah, you will. It'll probably be like, oh, okay. I, I feel like every time I reach into the oven, I remember Grandma's boy. I'm always like, oh, where's my oven mitts? <laughs> like that's the number <laughs> one. Like there's just different random things. I'm like, I would never do that. And now that I'm at that certain age, there's just certain things you're like, oh yeah, I have to be. I have to remind myself sometimes because you just get an autopilot and forget. Yeah. So this has been a great time, and I really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it that you had me on here. All right. Well, you have a wonderful night and I will see you around. Okay. Thank you everyone Thank you. for joining. Oh, absolutely. Thank you everyone for joining the eSpot with Camille. And this is the last live episode for the season, but I will have a very special um, episode tomorrow at four o'clock where I will have, uh, I will have the, my guest tomorrow will be George Floyd's uncle, Roger Floyd, who is starting the George Floyd Memorial Center here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Well, and he's going to have some of his chairman as well with him and the Raleigh Police Department's, um, well, he's part of the Raleigh Police Protection Department's spokesperson. He's also the vice president for the Teamsters. Rick Armstrong will also be my guest. And we had a very deep conversation about what's going on in the community and what we can do to really try to build bridges. So that conversation was pre-recorded just to make sure everyone had time to really get what was on their mind and off their chest and it was all in a place of love so that will be on tomorrow at four o'clock i really hope that you will get the chance to watch and listen to it it was a great conversation and they have a lot of great initiatives that are coming up on may 25th which will be the anniversary of george's passing and on that day it's going to be a day of enlightenment the goal is to make it a day where we all celebrate his life and try to really build those bridges that we're capable of so um again tomorrow at four o'clock. Thank you for tuning in tonight. Thank you again, Heather, for being my guest. And thank you everyone for watching. And I'll see you in season three, um, the eSpot with Camille, CamilleCower.com. Thank you so much.